Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. So when I was a kid, I used to drive my mother crazy. I know you find that hard to believe, right? So you might say, well, how was that? Well, I'll tell you. She always had a pile of laundry to do every day, day in, day out. And the reason was me. Because, you see, I had this, this thing where I felt like whatever I was doing had to have a special uniform or outfit or costume. And so I did a lot of things. And because I'm ADD, I went from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing every single day. So in any given day, I was a tennis player. I was a professional fisherman because we had the canals where we lived at the time. I was a uh, pretend motorcycle rider on my bicycle, which they used to call the yellow submarine. That's a long story. We won't go there. I was a firefighter. I was a paramedic. I was a police officer. Sometimes I was all three in one. And so what I would do is I would, I would decide what I was going to do, and then I would put on my uniform, and I would go do that thing. But I would get bored very easily, and so I would, I would realize, hey, you know what? Tennis is no longer fun. Of course, I was only into the yard, and so I hadn't actually swung the racket. But I went back in, and I got my fishing pole and put on my fishing uniform. And I just did this every day. And so every night, my, my mom would go in my room, and I would have these piles of clothes in my room. And she was like, Jeffrey! See, I didn't realize that you could wear one set of clothes for most all activities you do in the day. I really had no idea because I had to match what I did with what I wore. And you know, in Colossians today, we're going to be looking at putting on and putting off. So in order to put on, you've got to put off. But you got to know what to put on and put off. And so the context is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. We live in the kingdom of this world. And short, uh, a short explanation of that is we live in a world that is finite, that is not controlled by God, but is controlled by the prince of the powers of the air. So the devil controls the kingdom of this world. Now, don't misunderstand. God has ultimate authority. He can do whatever. He can, he can break in whenever he wants, but... There's also a kingdom of God that's going on as well. That's why in, when Jesus said, how do we, or when Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you've got this, in, I guess a way to say it, this dual kingdom going on, the kingdom of the world, kingdom of God. But what you need to know is that the kingdom of this world looks polar opposite to the kingdom of God. It's kind of like going and looking in the mirror, right? So if I look in the mirror... My right arm, the reflection of my right arm is my left arm. And the reflection of my left arm is my right. Because the reflection is backwards, right? Another way to say that is it's upside down. So the things that we value in this kingdom of the world are not the things that are highly valued in the kingdom of God. And vice versa. The things in the kingdom of God are not the things highly valued in the kingdom of this world. And we talked about that a little bit last week. We'll get into that more today. But in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 says this. It says, Do not lie to each other, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image 
of your creator. So we are to put off our old self and put on our new self. But notice the wording here. And by the way, if you want to know what the old self looks like, if you go up a few verses in verse 5, Therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. And then it goes on in verse 8, says, But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language. Do not lie to one another, the first part of verse 9. So the old self we're to put off. But notice in verse 9 it says, Put off your old self and its practices. So you never put on the old self. Think about it. You didn't have to get up and go, you know what, I think I'm going to put on my old self. Your old self is what you were born with, right? That's normal. That's natural to you. So we live in the kingdom of this world where the old self is the norm. Lying and greed and lust and anger and selfishness and bitterness. Now, some might argue that's not what the world is, is, is all about. The world's all about goodness and kindness. No, there are glimpses of those things. But if you look at the root of most civilizations, there's chaos, there's brokenness, there's wickedness. There's all of these things that God says those are old self ways of living. So you didn't wake up and put on the old self. The old self was already on. You're instructed to put off the old self and its practices. Here's where we go wrong sometimes. We try to put off the practices without dealing with the self. We want to deal with the external and not the internal. But the external is only a, a small part of the problem. See, what's on the inside will always overcome what's on the outside every single time. Anybody ever done any body work on a vehicle or dealt with a, a, a rusty uh, piece of metal? So I have a vehicle that, uh, or had a vehicle rather, that had some rust on it. And so what I did was I'm like, you know what? This rust is just not, not it, it's, it's miring the look of my, my, my thing here. So, so I took some paint. This is before I understood science, right? I took some paint and I sprayed over it and I made it look brand new. And I'm thinking, done. That was easy. Hit the easy button, right? And it wasn't very long because we live in Florida that that beautiful paint job began to eat through, or rather the rust began to eat through the beautiful paint job. And now it became a bigger problem because I only covered up a chemical issue, uh, which is rust, and, and now I have to deal with the rust and the paint. So I've just compounded the problem, right? So what we try to do so often is we try to deal with the external without dealing with the internal. And God says, no, put off the old self and its practices. So deal with the rust. If you've got a vehicle that's got a rust spot on it, you don't just paint over it. No, you grind it down to the bare metal. Right? You get all of the rust off and you get all of the excess paint off and you, you actually make it a little bit bigger than it is because you want to make sure that nothing's creeping up underneath the paint that you can't see yet. Then you prime it and then you put a coat of paint on it and then you can make it to where it's not going to rust back through. The same thing happens in our lives. We can't just deal with the, with the, the actions. We've got to deal with the attitude. We've got to deal with the heart. That's why this verse says, which is idolatry. You know what idolatry is? Ultimately, it's the, it's the result of pride. Pride says, I, 
me, my. And when it's all about me, I build these idols as things to worship. Now, we don't ever say it that way. I mean, you and I would never say, oh, I'm an idolater. But if we were really honest, if we really were to look at our heart of hearts, all of us have hearts, according to one scholar, that they're just idol factories. They're just pumping out idols left and right. I think it was Tim Keller that said that. These idol factories, right? And our idols aren't silver and gold, and they're not these things that we go and we worship. No, there are other things that are more, more seductive and more sinister. They're, they're things like greed, and they're things like anger, and they're, they're things like popularity, and they're things like acceptance, and all of these things we have to deal with. So the Scripture says to put off your old self and its practices, and then we are to put on the new self. Now, the title of today's message is this, Three Lies We Believe About Ourselves, all right? There are three lies that we're constantly tempted to believe about ourselves. The reason we believe these lies is because these lies make sense to us, because they basically say what is on the outside defines what we are on the inside, and if we're really honest, a lot of us still live that way, even if we're a follower of Jesus, because we haven't really grasped who we are in Christ. But hold that for just a moment, because I want to show you the goal. The goal says, put on your new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. So that's the goal. That's the ultimate prize, so that you look like your creator the Bible tells us we're to be imitators of Christ as dearly loved children. It's all over the scripture that we're to look like Jesus, right? And so we're to put off the old self and put on the new self, but that begs the question, how do we do it? How do we put on the new self? Well, it begins by knowing who we are. The three lies that we believe about ourselves are these. Number one, I am what I have. Number two, I am what I do. And number three, I am what others say and think about me. Now, that's not original to me, by the way. That's Henry Nouwen. He wrote this, and, and it, just, it just really makes sense, and it really connected with me. And so I wanted to share that with you. But I think it's true because listen to what it says. I am what I have. So what I have defines who I am. I am what I do. So what I do defines what I, or who I am. I am what others think and say about me. So what others' opinion of me is, that defines who I am. But the Bible says something different. See, that's the old self. The old self is living in a world that is broken. It's a kingdom of this world that is, that is backwards, so to speak, which which is very performance-based. It's very conditional. It's an if-then proposition. If you do this, then I will love you. If you perform this way, then I will reward you. The kingdom of God is not like that. The kingdom of God is unconditional in many ways. God's love isn't determined based on your performance. It never has been de determined by that. It always has been determined on his intrinsic value that he placed inside of you since from before you were even ever born. And so the story changes. Rather than I am what I have, 
it goes like this. What I have is because of who I am. See, this is the reverse image, right? I am what I have is the, is the thwarted, it's the maligned image of the truth. The truth is, what I have is because of who I am. The truth is, what I do is because of who I am. And the truth is, what people say and think about me is because of who I am, not the other way around. Now, we'll get into those in a minute, but let's first talk about who you are. In verse 12, the Scripture says, Therefore, he tells us for three things. As God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Now, I don't think, now there are more, that, there's more that we are to God, but these three really are enough. As God's chosen ones, you have been chosen by God. In other words, God decided at some point in your life, and I really it was probably before you were born, I guess theologically to be correct, He chose to call your name and bring you into a relationship with Himself. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't understand how all that works. I mean, I, I can try to talk about it, and I just, get, I just fall all over myself trying to explain the mysteries of God in this. But what we do know is that nobody just wakes up and says, I think I'll be a Christian today. The Bible tells us no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. Now, I do believe that it's by grace, that's God's doing, that we're saved through faith, that's our doing. I do believe that there's, a, there, there, there's some response on our part. But the fact is, you don't come to Christ on your own doing. God chooses you. And the best way to explain this is by donuts. So, when I go to the donut shop, now Krispy Kreme, I, I, I do this, but, but if I go to like a fancy donut shop, right? You know, a couple years ago we went on a trip. And one of our goals going across the country was, was to find the best donut in the United States. And we did our best to find the best donut. There are some great donut shops across this country, folks. It is the land of the free, the home of the brave. God has blessed us with donuts, right? So we go to the donut shop. I mean, you don't just casually order donuts. I mean, this is, this is too important just to go and go, give me some donuts, right? You walk in and you bend over, right? And you're looking at the case and you're going, I want that one. And so the lady behind the counter is going, this one? No, no, no. To the right, to the left. It's like you're playing one of those games where you're, you got the crane grabbing the right one. So I'm going, I want that one. Yes, that's the one. I chose that donut among all the other donuts. Now, I'm not saying God chose you like a donut, but I am saying that he chose you. He chose you. Now listen. If you've been chosen, that's valuable. Think of, if we didn't have anything else, if we didn't have holy and if we didn't have dearly loved, the fact that God chose you to follow him is like mind-blowing, isn't it? Of all the things in your life that are important, the fact that the God of the universe said, I want you. And he didn't just choose you generally. He didn't just say, I want you. He goes, I know your name. I know how many hairs are on your head. I know your strengths. I know your weaknesses. I know your fears. I know your hopes. I know your dreams. I know your insecurities. And yet, I want you. That is amazing. And when God chose you, 
He justified you, right? Justified means you've been made right with God. Now, here's the transaction. When you were made right with God, your old self was crucified. It's dead. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So that's why in John chapter 3, when the Bible says that you must be born again, that's what that means. To be born again means God chose you. God brought you into his kingdom. You're now no longer a citizen in the kingdom of this world. You're a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. And so you're part of God's kingdom. You're new, but and yet you still live here because Being justified, being made right with God means you're in the right standing with him. But the next step is he begins to sanctify you and change you. And that's where this put off your old self, put on your new self comes into into being. But I find that it's hard for us to put off the old self when we think that the old self is what gives us value. If we don't realize who we are, we're never going to be able to put off the old self because we think... Well, I can't do any different. This is who I am. I was born this way. This is just my nature. No. You've been given a new nature. You've been given a new name. You've been given a new family, the family of God. And so when you're justified, made right with God, you then begin this process called sanctification. And it means that God is is changing you. He's he's given you a a new position in his kingdom. and He's made you a son or a daughter. But now you've got to understand, hey, I'm a son or a daughter. I'm going to start living that way. And it's not so much living outwardly as much as it is recognizing the inward change. That's why a believer in Jesus should be able to love unlike anybody else. That's why a believer in Jesus should be able to forgive unlike anyone else. I was listening to a podcast this week about forgiveness and love, and, and, and I can't remember the exact phrasing, but something to the effect of, we should learn to love and forgive in a way that is beyond reasonable. I, I want to be unreasonably loving. Not just loving, but I want to love unreasonably. I want to forgive unreasonably. Whereas everybody else in the room says, they, they, look, you've forgiven enough. And, and, and I go, no, 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 you don't understand. My God has forgiven me for the vilest of sins. I can't hold it against them because to do that would be to think that I deserve the forgiveness I got from God and I don't. And so no matter what you do, you are forgiven. No matter what you say, you are forgiven. No matter wh- how, how greatly you offend me, you are forgiven. That is the power of the gospel. And that is certainly different than the way the world sees it, right? The way the world sees it is, I will forgive you if you do these things. Oh, and by the way, this is the line of forgiveness. Once you pass that line, you are dead to me. No more forgiveness given. And Jesus said, I've got a better way. The better way is this, forgive 70 times 7. Never stop forgiving. You go, whoa, 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 that's so unfair. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And you know, I used to say, it's so unfair and I don't like it, but I can't even say that anymore. Because it's like, who am I to hold a grudge? What gives me the right to not love unconditionally if God loves me unconditionally? See how it's different? And so 
you are chosen. And then the second thing is you are holy. That's the sanctification. Now, notice it says you are holy, but you're also, we're, we are also acting unholy, right? So holy means we've been set apart. That means we have been, been removed from where we were and we've been set apart. And it's always in the context of set apart for God's special purpose. You have been set apart by God if you're a follower of Jesus. That changes everything, by the way. You've been set apart for a purpose that he has for you, through you, and in you. So you are um, chosen. God chose you as the perfect donut. He, he made you holy. He set you apart. And he's, making, he's, he's, he's telling you, put off the old self, put on the new self, because you are now holy. You're set apart. And you are dearly loved. In a King James Version, it would say, and beloved. I love this word, this, this, this word because it means you are the object of God's love. Sit on that for a while. You are the object of God's love. And we just don't get that. I mean, we try. We really do. But do you ever find yourself going back and placing yourself in a conditional love relationship with God? In a performance-based relationship? I was thinking this morning while I was taking a shower, getting ready to, to, to come in. I was thinking, you know... Um, when, when I sin, my tendency is to want to see God as, as angry. I, wanna, I, I, I picture him throwing something against the wall like, oh! How many of y'all do that, right? You sin and, and your first thought is, oh, God's not happy with me. But that translates, really, if we were to really think about it, is God doesn't like me. Or God doesn't love me. Because somehow or another, we think that we have done something to earn God's love, and therefore we can do something to unearn His love. And we don't ever say that out loud, but we live by it based on the way we react or feel or think when we sin. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we can just sin, oh, it's okay, God's fine. But I'm saying, as a father, when my children do something wrong, I'm just thinking through their entire lives. Never once have I thought when they've done something wrong, you know what? I think I love them a little bit less. I, I think my love for them just kind of just lessened a little bit. But if, if they say they're sorry, I'll probably boost my love back up a little. As a parent, have you ever said that or thought that? No. You'd say that's insane. As a parent, I love my kid and I got to love them. I mean... I can't not, right? So if me being human, if me being fallible, if me being finite, am able to understand that my children are loved by me because they are from me. They're, 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 they're part of me. They're, 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 my, they're my children. Why would I think even in some remote way that God stops or lessens his love for us? We think that because we believe the lies that the enemy has told us. I am what I have. I am what I do. And I am what others think and say about me. We believe those lies and those are absolute lies. 
And so you need to know who you are if you're in Christ. You are chosen. You're chosen. You are holy. And you are dearly loved. You are the object of God's great love. But why then do we have to put off our old self and put on our new self? Why, why do we have, I mean, why isn't it just like a wrong, just set it and forget it? I put on my new self, I'm done. Here's why. I hope this, this image uh, uh, it, it sticks out to you. I hope you remember this. Because even though we have been made new, that dead self, that old self, is reaching its hands through the coffin. And it's wrapping its arms around us and it's trying to bring us back into the grave. Paul said it this way. He said, what I don't want to do, I do. And what I do want to do, I don't do. So I find this war, this, this, this war inside of me. It's a conflict. What a wretched man that I am. Oh, but thanks be to God, right? So the whole thing is this. There's this battle going on inside between the old and the new. We have a hard time giving up the old. In fact, I'll tell you a little secret. These are some of my favorite genes ever. But they're on their last leg, literally. See, there are, there are two giant rips in these genes that I just realized like two weeks ago. And why are they my favorite? Because they're comfortable. Now, y'all are like, where's the rips? I'll tell you, you don't want to know where the rips are. So, so here's the thing. I love these. They, they, they're comfortable. You know, they got the right flex. They look good. At least I pretend they do. You know, so all of these things. So I'm like, they're ripped. And they're ripped in a place that they can't be ripped. And so I went to Walmart and I bought a patch. And I turned them inside out and I glued the patch on yesterday. And today, I'm scared to death that my patch won't hold. So I'm trying to stay in a very tight spot. But isn't that the way it is with our old self? We, 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 we just we kind of like it because it's comfortable. We, we're used to it. It's where we were. And God says, look, I got new genes for you. I got something new. See, we think that, that this is the only way. We think it's the best way. We think it's the most comfortable way. And God says, what you're missing is, I own all the genes in a thousand stores. Okay, that's a biblical verse, a little twisted, right? But it makes sense. And so we've got to be willing to say, it's time for that to be over. But it starts with recognizing, though, that who you are determines what you do, not the other way around. So let's talk about these three lies for just a minute, okay? I am what I have. That's a powerful one. When I was, uh, well, I must tell, I'll tell that story later. Remind me later. I am what I have. You ever noticed how when you get something new, you got to show it to people. You get a new car, so you drive slower, and you drive more. You'll go the long way, and maybe drive next to your friend's house. So you drive, and, and if people don't notice, we just kind of put these hints out there. Oh, by the way, did, did, you, did you notice anything? Right? We're so good about that because we still drive value based on what we have. And what we have doesn't determine your value at all. 
In fact, I would argue the exact opposite. What you don't have reflects the true value. You see, many of us could have all kinds of things, but we choose not to have them because we make different choices. We make a trade. We trade one thing that is for us for another thing that is for others or for God's kingdom. We trade one thing that satisfies us for something that satisfies God. Did I ever tell you the story about the TV? I, th I think I may have. So this is a really neat thing that God just used to teach us a whole lot of things. But we uh, were in Walmart. This was several years ago. Shannon and me and, and all three kids. We were in Walmart and we were driving her nuts. And so she was like, look, Jeff, take the kids somewhere and just I'll, I'll, I'll text you when we're ready to go. I said, okay, great. So we wandered over, me, Josh, Hannah, and Sarah, we wandered over to the TV department, and we were looking at all these TVs, and it was at a time when the flat screen TVs weren't as cheap as they are now, right? And so we had a, a little TV at the time, and the kids were like, hey, Dad, let's get a TV. We need a big one. We got a little one. Let's get a big one. And I said, guys, look, we, we could buy one right now. I mean, they're not, I mean, we could, we could do it. But we've made a choice where we spend our money. And I was trying to explain to them that we wanted to make sure that our money went to the kingdom as much as possible. And so we're going to be satisfied with the small TV we had. They're like, ah. And I said, but I'll tell you what. Pray about it. And if God wants us to have a bigger TV, he'll give us one. And I think, I don't know for sure, but I think that they were probably like, yeah, whatever. You know, I promise you it wasn't 30 seconds later my phone rang. So I picked it up, and it was my friend Bill. He said, hey, Jeff, you by any chance need a TV? I said, uh, huh? He goes, yeah, yeah, you know, we got that big one in the living room, but we got a new one, and I, I don't have anything to do with this old one, so would you guys happen to want it? I said, um, there's a story here that you need to know, but I'm going to tell you when we get to your house. We'll, we'll stop by on the way home. So I didn't say anything. We got in the car. We started going home, and I said, hey, we need to stop at my friend's house. So we stopped. We went inside. And he tells the story. And they were like, no way. See, God thought we needed a big TV, right? What he really wanted to do was show us that every time you make a kingdom trade, not only does God see it, but God oftentimes says, because, imagine this, you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things. Didn't the Bible, didn't the Bible say that somewhere? I'm not saying that God's going to give you a big screen TV, and I'm not saying that you're always going to I'm saying that we have a Father who, when you put things in the right order, when you are not what you have, but rather you have because of who you are, God the Father makes up the difference. Amen? That's just the way He works. So the second one is this. I am what I do. See, this is a really dangerous one because... You're not going to do what you do your entire life. It's impossible. If, you, if, if what you do is your profession, if that's your identity, what happens when you no longer can do that? We actually see it all the time. Businessmen whose their entire life has been put into their business or businesswomen have done that. And then they no longer have their business because they retire and they sit at home and they're going crazy. Because their life often doesn't have meaning now because my meaning... I've retired from. The same thing happens with athletes. 
When your life becomes your sport, when you no longer have your sport, and there's always a day when you'll no longer have it, your, your value changes. But what it means to be kingdom-minded, to put off the old self and put on the new, means that because I am chosen, because I am holy, because I am dearly loved, this sport is a means to an end to help other people know that they can be chosen, they can be holy, they can be dearly loved. So whether I'm doing this or this or this, I'm the same person. That's the truth. The third one gets even more difficult. I am what others say and think about me. Do you live for the applaud of others? Do you live for the approval of others? Now, most of us would, would, would just quickly say, no, nah, I don't do that. But, but be honest. Dig a little deeper in, in your own life. When you do things, what is your motivation for? Is it so other people will clap? Is it so other people will say, oh, they're a good person? Or is it so other people will say, they, they, must, they must be living right? Or can you do something and not even think about what somebody else is going to think about you? I'm not talking necessarily, I'm not saying you shouldn't be concerned about reputation to a degree. But I'm saying the motivation for what you do shouldn't be for the applause of men or for the acceptance or approval of men. It should be because you are chosen. You are holy. You are dearly loved. That changes things, doesn't it? So we're to put off the old self and put on the new self. Oh, so as, uh, what people think and say about me. So you remember, I told this in First Baptist, and then I got an even better story from it. So when I was in middle school, Kmart used to have shoes. Anybody ever wore Kmart shoes? So let me tell you how to identify Kmart shoes. Kmart doesn't even exist anymore. Kmart shoes were tennis shoes that had two Velcro straps. That's how, they, that's how they tied. And they had three white lines on the sides of them. And they were obviously Kmart shoes. Well, I wore Kmart shoes, and I used to be embarrassed because I'm like, man, these Kmart shoes are nothing like your Converse. And I don't even remember what the other brands were, but I'm used to, I remember being somewhat embarrassed by it. So Tina Landry said, you know what, we had that same conversation we were taking our daughter to Disney World. Halfway through the trip, on the way down there, she said, I forgot my tennis shoes. They said, no problem. So they stopped into Kmart, got her a pair of shoes. And the entire time at Disney, she was conflicted because of the people that would see her wearing Kmart shoes. And she was so embarrassed because her shoes were Kmart shoes. And Tina said, honey, these are strangers you're missing Disney because you're worried about what other people are thinking and saying about you, and they don't matter. Let that sink in. Some of us are missing God's kingdom because we're worried about what others are saying or thinking about us, and their opinions don't matter. Can, can I get one step deeper? Sometimes we let the opinions of religious folks keep us from doing what we know God has called us to do. What will they say? What will they think? What if they misunderstand? Listen, I want you to think well of me. 
I want you to like me. I want you to talk highly of me. I mean, doesn't everybody? But if I choose to be disobedient to God for fear of what you might think or say, that's not a good trade. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them. Say, I don't care what you think about me anymore. <laughs> don't say that to your mama. Don't say that to your mama. <laughs> Now look, obviously there's with, but he, but here's how you fix that. Here's how you fix the, the the jangled up messiness of that. If you know that you are chosen, if you know that you are holy, you're set apart, and if you know that you were dearly loved, then you don't have anything to prove. You don't have anything to hide. You also don't have anything to lose. So because of who you are, you're now to put on your new self. Here's what it looks like. Therefore, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All five of these things are undervalued or devalued in the kingdom of this world. First off is compassion. We like to have compassion for things like dogs and turtles and good people. We don't like to have compassion for people who don't deserve it. Look, can I get in your face a little bit and you get mine on this? What... What, what good is it if we're able to give compassion to people we think deserve it? That's not like Jesus at all. That's easy. I can love a puppy, right? But when you give compassion to someone who doesn't deserve it, that's very Jesus-like. When you give kindness to a person who is unkind, who is entitled, who is abusive. That's not something that makes sense. But Jesus said, through his word, put on those things that reflect who you are, your new self. Put on compassion. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Notice the wording, though. Put on humility. It means you're to, you're, to, you're to seek after these things and look for opportunities to be compassionate. To pursue avenues of being kind. And to, to, to look forward to opportunities to be humble. Here's the really great thing about this. This is like a ninja mind trick, a Jedi mind trick here, right? So as you're pursuing being compassionate... Who you are begins to permeate you more. You begin to smell of compassion because the inside is coming alive and it's oozing out. See, you had to work at being compassion. Now you're compassionate because it just is a faucet inside of you that just can't stop. See how that works? And so the same thing with kindness, the same thing with humility. You have to work at it. And then as you work at it, God makes it to where it's more. You ever siphon gas out of a gas tank into another tank? 
The way you do that, you take a hose. You should get permission for the first person you're taking their gas. That's the first thing. Get permission. Take a hose, put it in the gas tank, and then you put your lips around it, and you put your container here, and you go, right? And you suck it until this, this momentum comes, and then you put it over, and it flows naturally. That's a law of physics, the reason it does that. But there's work trying to get it out of there until it passes the tipping point where it just continues to go. Same thing with putting off and putting on. You've got to really, really work, and then it becomes easier because it's just a natural reflection of who you are. So compassion, kindness, humility. And then it says gentleness and patience. We're good with the first four. The last one, not so much, right? So when you intentionally practice these things, which means you're intentionally putting them on, God is, God is changing you from the inside out. And you do because you are. And because you are, it just naturally flows out. Does that make sense? All right. Let's finish this passage up. Then it says, Forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. God says, I forgave you, you forgive others. Above all, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And here is the reward. And let the peace of Christ rule or to which you were called to one body, rule your hearts. It is amazing to me how in my own life I can track my peace level to how much I've put off the old self and put on the new self. I can track it. I'm not nearly as anxious. I'm not nearly as frustrated. I'm not nearly as fast. But it's been a process, right? But it's because I'm learning who I am in Christ. And if, you, if, you want to, if, if you're in that position, you understand what I'm saying. But some of us, because we're younger in our faith or just younger in life, you haven't quite realized that you don't have to prove anything to anybody. Certainly not to God. You are who He says you are. I am who He says I am. And nothing can change that. This morning, I want to invite you to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts because that is to what you have been called. If you're in this place and you've never trusted Christ Jesus or if you're watching by way of Facebook or by TV, I want to invite you to trust in Christ right now. That means that you admit that you're a sinner. God, I, I, I need you. I've tried it my own, I can't do it. You believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is. And then you confess with your mouth. By the way, the admitting that I need you, that's repentance. I, I'm not, I, I can't help me. I can't fix me. Belief, that's trust. Confess, that's an action that demonstrates your trust. 
So this morning, are you in need of trusting Christ? Or this morning, are you in need of just taking off the old self and putting on the new? By the way, you don't just do it once and that's all. For the rest of your life, you're going to be wrestling with this. But as I said, the more you are putting on the new self, the more natural to who you are it becomes. And so you, you get into this groove of, of living in the kingdom of God or for the kingdom of God. And things become easier in that way. But you never fully kill the man trying to reach out of the grave to pull you back in. It's just the way it is. There's one other thing that happens. After you're dead and gone, you're going to stand before God and you'll have a glorified body. That means all the stuff you struggle with here will no longer be a struggle. You'll be in the presence of an almighty God and you'll be perfect. That's what the Bible tells us. Amen. Father in heaven, I thank you for your kindness and your goodness. I do pray for your people. I pray for me. I pray that we would recognize who we are. I pray, Father, we would not believe the lies of the enemy. Lord, we are not what we do. We are not what we have. And we are not people's opinions of us. We are chosen. We are holy. We are dearly loved. Help us to know that. In Jesus' name. Find out more about 